Let us now read together what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 42. What does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? God forbids not only outright theft and robbery, but also such wicked schemes and devices as false weights and measures, deceptive merchandising, counterfeit money and usury. We must not defraud our neighbor in any way, whether by force or by show of right. In addition, God forbids all greed and all abuse or squandering of his gifts. What does God require of you in this commandment? I must promote my neighbor's good wherever I can and may, deal with him as I would like others to deal with me, and work faithfully so that I may be able to give to those in need. After the sermon, we will respond by saying from Psalm 34, the stanzas 6, 7, and 9. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, supposing one morning you get up, and as you get ready for work, you get an email or a text message from your boss. He tells you that he wants to see you first thing in the morning. He doesn't tell you why or what it is all about. And this is very unusual, for it's not like your boss to do something like that. As chief financial officer of the company, you are well aware that things have not been going that well in business of late. And so this summons from your boss worries you. What could be behind it? As you drive to work, you get this sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach. Once you are in your boss's office, he tells you that your position with the company has been terminated. He says that he can no longer depend on you to turn the company around, for, as you also are well aware of yourself, the business is not turning a profit like it used to. And the boss says to you that you are a large part of the problem. Oh, sure, he does not accuse you of stealing or anything like that, If that were the case, he would have called in the police. But, says he, it is because of mismanagement. Money has been wasted. It hasn't been put to good use. You have made unnecessary expenditures, and you did not cut corners where you should. There's no sense arguing with your boss. You know that he is right. He comes with all the facts. He went over all the books carefully. And that shows exactly where and how the mismanagement took place. You have to pack up your stuff and leave. Security will escort you into your office where you'll have 15 minutes to clear your desk. You have to hand in your keys, your cell phone, and your laptop, and your parking pass. Now you are no longer to have access to the building or to any of the company's financial records. Can you imagine how you would feel at a time like that? That'd be awful, wouldn't it? But now think about us as Christians who have God as their boss. The Lord gives us many things to manage. As we know from Psalm 24, verse 1, 
from which we also sang a moment ago, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Whatever you have, material or spiritual, is from God. There is nothing that belongs to you or to me personally. It is God's gift to us. Oh, sure, we can use what God gives us, but we may never think that it is our own. Not even our lives are our own. That's what we confess already in Lord's Day 1. I belong with body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. There is nothing that we can call our own. Everything is from the Lord. All you have to do is manage the riches that God has given you. How are you doing in managing God's riches? If the Lord were to discharge you from this earth right now, and he asked you how you have managed the things that he has entrusted you with, what would you say? Of course, we're sinful people and we're not perfect. None of us are good managers of God's riches entrusted to us, but you have to do your utmost to manage his riches well. And therefore, he will look at how you did your best in managing your resources, your riches. And so, how are you doing with the riches that God has given to you? Do you take the management of your possessions seriously? What role does God play in your life compared to your money? What drives you? What do you talk about when you're together with your friends? How do you want to impress others? With your earthly riches or with your heavenly riches? Who is your boss? God or your money? Whom do you serve? That's what I want to preach to you about this afternoon. The theme is as follows. Make the right, cho- make the right choices in managing your God-given riches. And then we will see that you have, in the first place, two different investments, and in the second place, two different destinations. It is necessary to plan for the future. You cannot just live from day to day, hoping that things will fall into place. God gives us the resources and the abilities to plan those resources, to plan for the future. And you do that by making good investments from which you can draw during your time of need. For that reason, we make investments all the time. We invest in our homes, in our businesses, in our pension plans, and perhaps in the stock market and other things. But what is a good investment? What is the most important investment? And that is what the Lord Jesus tries to teach in this parable of the shrewd manager. The Lord Jesus teaches us a very important lesson in this parable. However, that may not be readily apparent to everyone. For at first glance, there are some difficult elements to the story that the Lord Jesus tells us. It almost seems that the Lord commends a man who acts fraudulently, a man who is self-indulgent and thinks only about what he can get out of this life here on earth, a man who is worldly in all his dealings. But... Let's take a look at what is happening here in this parable. Then we will understand why the Lord uses this man as an example. 
In the parable, we read that his manager is dismissed because of mismanagement. We are not told what the exact nature of his mismanagement is, except that he was wasting his boss's possessions. And that was immoral. It was even dishonest. And now he is out of a job. What is he going to do? He is not trained for anything else. He is not strong enough to dig. And he doesn't want to become a beggar. That would be too humiliating. But he's a shrewd man. He wasn't born yesterday. He knows how this world works. He knows that it is not always what you know, but who you know what is important. You have to have the right kind of friends who help you. And who does he know? Well, he's always had some kind of relationship with the people he had been doing business with, who were his master's debtors. He wanted to strengthen the bond with them so that they would be obligated to him. In this way, he wants to secure his future. And he knows exactly how to do that. He calls in some of those big businessmen and reduced their debt by a substantial amount. The one fellow's debt he reduced in half. Instead of owing 800 gallons of olive oil, he reduced it to 400. And with another, instead of owing 100 bushels of wheat, he reduced his debt to 800. Looking at it from a worldly point of view, this was very smart of him. He is a lot smarter in that regard compared to the rich man in the second parable. That rich man did not think about his future at all. He just lived for the day. He enjoyed his substantial possessions to the fullest extent. Because he was so rich, he didn't need anybody. People served him at his command. He was not accountable to anybody, for he did not depend on anybody else. That is why he also ignored poor Lazarus, who was lying by his gate. He did not have the time of day for him. As far as that rich man was concerned, he did not need to invest in anything. He had enough money. He had enough money for the rest of his life. And he didn't need to invest in other people either. Other people needed him, and not the other way around. Both these men, the man from the first parable and the man from the second parable, the rich men, were unbelievers. In the first parable, we are not told about the final state of that shrewd manager. But, unless he repented, I'm sure that he did not receive any rewards in the life hereafter. Just like that second rich man. He will have suffered the same fate as the rich man in the parable of Lazarus. Both of them were looking for their needs to be fulfilled through other people. They were looking for earthly rewards. And so that's all they got. No heavenly rewards for them. But the lesson that the Lord Jesus wants to teach us, that we must look to the future. Just like that shrewd manager did. He says, look at the way that he uses the resources available to him to plan for the future. This shrewd manager is a man of the world, and therefore he also deals in a worldly way, and therefore in a dishonest way. He deals with his own kind. He puts himself in a favorable position with them by serving them well. And these men will have been very glad to have had their debts reduced, and they will have been very grateful by the way that they were treated by that manager. And for that reason, everyone 
commends him for his shrewdness. Not only do the debtors do that, so does the rich man, the boss. Now, this may seem strange to you. For is this shrewd manager not defrauding his boss? And by accepting the reduction of their debts, aren't those debtors going along with such fraud? That's what it looks like, doesn't it? But please look carefully at this passage. It doesn't say anywhere that the shrewd manager was engaged in fraudulent activity. It was dishonest, but not fraudulent. No, his problem, we are told, was mismanagement. He was wasting good resources. He was not using his boss's money in a prudent way. But it doesn't mean that he was a crook. What about the fact then that he reduces the debts of the others? Again, he does not say there that he does this in a fraudulent way. For do not think that the boss would have commended him if he had cheated him out of that money. No, he would have called in the authorities. And do not think either that the Lord Jesus would commend him for his fraudulent activity either. He certainly would not. What then is the case? Well, the only explanation that makes sense is that he used his own money to reduce the debt of these men. Scholars point out that he likely used his own commission to do that. That's the only logical explanation. If you understand the culture of that day, then you would readily understand that. And therefore, the Lord Jesus does not deem it necessary to add those details. Someone who heard that story at the time of Jesus would right away understand that. That's how they did business in those days. The manager would get a hefty commission and had total control over the finances of his boss. There was nothing fraudulent going on. He was only being shrewd. Now then, what is the lesson that the Lord Jesus wants to teach us? He wants to teach us that we have to plan wisely for our future with the resources that he has given us. We must make good investments here on earth in order to secure the future. We must do with our resources what this worldly man did with his resources. For what has the Lord God given us to you and to me? Think about it. He has given us enormous wealth. Just think about the material wealth that we have. This generation has been blessed materially more than any other. Oh, sure, the one has more than the other, but I'm sure you agree that none of us lack anything that we need. We don't lack anything to sustain us in our daily lives. You and I, we have an abundance of food and drink. We have clothes to wear. We have roofs over our heads, and we have health care. We have all different kinds of insurances and whatever else we need for our lives here on earth. We also have the time and the freedom to enjoy all these wonderful gifts. But those riches aren't actually yours or mine. God gives that to you and to me. And he wants us to use it all properly. And not like the world does. The thief says, what's yours is mine. I'll take it. 
The selfish man says, what's mine is mine. I'll keep it. But the Christian must say, what's mine is a gift from God. I'll share it. You see, that is how you invest in your eternal life. That is how you fulfill the second part of the law, namely, that you must love your neighbor as yourself. That is how you promote your neighbor's good, as the Catechism says. It is not as if the money that you have belongs to yourself. No, you are only allowed to use it for a little while. You're only allowed to use it during those few years that you have on this earth. And you have to invest what you have been given by God in the future. How do you do that? You do that by sharing. You do that by sharing your riches with God and with your fellow man. That is why on the top of the list you have contributions to the church and contributions to the Christian school and to the needy and to the other causes that promote the well-being of your neighbor. If you take care of that, the rest will fall into place. But that's hard for us to do, isn't it? But that's what God requires from you and me to share. That is how you have to invest in your future. That is what the Lord God wants to teach us. And you and I, we have a lot to share, don't we? And that does not just include the material things, but also other things, such as your time. We're great time wasters, aren't we? It says in Ephesians 5 that... He must make the most of every opportunity. The phrase is actually that we must buy up the opportunity. It is a term that comes from the business world. Every second of life that God has given you here on this earth is like a minted piece of gold which you can either squander or put to good use for the benefit of others. The Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 4 verse 7 that each one of us should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. And he's speaking there about our talents, about our abilities. I admire people who can work with their hands and who can create beautiful things. They will show you in their homes or their properties what they have created and that's great, it's wonderful. But those talents also have to be used to serve your fellow man. The greatest resource that God has given to you and to me is the gospel, the good news. It says in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 4 that we have been entrusted with the gospel. It has been put into our trust. The gospel is the good news of salvation. The gospel is the good news of the great peace that overcomes you when you serve the Lord in the way that he commands you. Share it. It's also in this way that you invest in your future. In the first parable, the Lord Jesus says in verse 9, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And so it is clear that the Lord Jesus is referring here to two different kinds of people and to two different, two types of destinations. We come to the second point. He is speaking, as you can see from verse 8 to 
people of the light and to their destination, which are the eternal dwellings, heaven, where the angels dwell, and to the people of the world and their destination, which is hell. The people of the light are, of course, his disciples, the true believers, you and I as well. He tells us that we have to use worldly wealth to gain friends for ourselves. That's our ticket to heaven. At least that's what he appears to be saying. But is that really true? For it would be very strange if that were the case. We know that we can't buy our way into heaven. And we know that we don't need other people to get into heaven either. Again, we have to carefully look at what the Lord Jesus is saying. He's speaking here about worldly wealth. Other translations, such as the English Standard Version, use the phrase unrighteous wealth. King James Version says unrighteous mammon. And that's a little bit better. The Lord Jesus knows that when you live here on this earth, you need to have money. You can't do without it. In his high priestly prayer in John 17, he also prays for those who live here on this earth, not to take them away from this earth, but to protect them while they are still on this earth. To protect them from what? From the devil, from Satan and his fallen angels. To protect them from those who want to lure them away from, from, this, from him by what this world has to offer. What? the unrighteous flesh has to offer. And he calls material wealth unrighteous. That's not because it is in itself unrighteous. For if that were the case, then all uses of it would be evil. It is the love of money that is the root of all evil, as Paul says elsewhere. The fact of the matter is that we cannot do without money. But it is unrighteous because the unrighteous attitudes, because of the unrighteous attitudes, the pursuit of money can and often does produce. Money is evil because of how it brings out distorted values in people. Pursuing money will make you selfish. It will lead you to take advantage of others. It can make you treat other people as objects and to be unfaithful to God. Money reflects an excessive attachment to the world. And that is why the Lord Jesus says that you cannot serve two masters. In the end, when push comes to shove, we will either choose God or money. You will either love the one and hate the other. But we do have that unrighteous wealth as a possession. But now how do you use it? You use it for God's kingdom. You use it to help others. You use it as something that you have total control over and not as something that controls you. We may not lay up treasures for ourselves here on earth. We have to manage it. And again, let me ask you that same question. How is it going with you? and the management of your money and all that God has given you. That's what the Lord God is going to ask you. How will you answer him? Your answer will be evident in the records of management that the Lord God keeps on hand for every one of us. He has a ledger that shows where and how and why 
you and I spend money, that material wealth that he gives you. What is your ledger going to show? And that will show whom you have served in your life as well, whether it is God or mammon. And it will show that if you served money instead of God, that then it will also show you what your destination will be. Think about that. Think about that in the coming week. Are you serving God or your money? Amen.